You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to another episode of the Noble and Roosh Show brought to you by Ball is Life. I'm one of your hosts, Roosh Williams, along with my man, Zach Noble. And today we are joined by a special guest, Mr. Harrison Fagan. How you doing, Harrison? You know, I'm doing good. It's been uh, it's been like an exhausting last couple days uh, covering a team that just won the championship, but also like a really fun time to actually be doing this as my job. So I can't complain. Like, I mean, I'm ex- I'm excited for like the actual full off season to hit for a little bit before free agency and the draft really get underway. But um, you know, I it, like I've never covered a good Lakers team, so this has been a blast for me. So talk talk to us a little bit more about why it's been a blast, and simultaneously maybe why it's also been exhausting. Well, so, you know, it's been a blast just because, like, my first day writing about basketball at all was the day Dwight Howard left the Lakers. So, like, you know, if you can imagine that. Yeah, like, I have not covered a great era for watching Lakers basketball. You know, usually you'd get, you know, you got the first 20 games where, like, okay, it's all new. There's new players to kind of look for. And then after that, it's like, okay, they're losing the same ways over and over and over again. And then you get like your scattered kind of fun, get your Jody Meeks, like 50 point game or, you know, whatever Kobe's final game. Like there are ones that you remember the D'Angelo Russell game winner, but for the most part, like not a lot of memorable, good, fun basketball to watch. Just a lot of like losing in the same ways over and over again. And then they get LeBron and I'm like, okay, that is all over. I'm excited. I'm covering a winning team. I'm covering a, you know, at least sort of a contender, like a team that's probably going to make the playoffs that first year. And then they don't. And I begin to start to think like, okay, am I the problem? Like, is it a curse where ever, like I'm, this team just can't be good as long as I cover <laughs> them. Like at what point are people going to realize that and like try and get me fired? Um, and so I was, you know, no one was more thankful that, than me to uh, actually get to watch like a good team. And, you know, it was a new experience getting to write about like actual basketball and like find basketball angles to cover other than like this team is so terrible. So that was fun. Uh, And just like, honestly, this playoff run was kind of incredible, even for, I'd say I was probably a bigger optimist about the Lakers chances going into the postseason than most people were just from watching this team all year. But just like, how much they just completely destroyed every single team that they played, except for Miami, which even Miami, when they really turned the gas on, they were able to kind of take care of things easily. You know, it was just a lot of fun to do that. And the exhausting part just comes from, there's a lot of writing that goes into covering a competitive team, a lot of podcasting, a lot going on. There's a lot more for me as someone who runs a blog that aggregates news as well. It means a lot more paying attention to stuff because there's a lot more reporters writing about this team and reporting on this team. So it's like uh, maybe not 24 seven, but probably like 23 uh, six type of a job. And so like covering a title run was even more so, and I'm definitely ready for a break. But again, like I, I can't complain too much. It's been a lot of fun. So lifelong Lakers fan, right? Yes, I uh, grew up in Orange County and growing like I probably started watching the team. I started watching the team in like 2001. I would say was when I really started to get into basketball, and I, I remember like the first game 
that I can remember sitting on the edge of my seat for uh, was the Ori game winner against the Kings. And that was the shot that like made me a like lifelong basketball fan. I was like, this is the greatest feeling in the world. I want to watch this team forever. And, you know, like covering the team kind of takes some of the diehard out of you. Like I- I'm not going to sit there and like get upset over like every single win and loss and whatever, but like as somebody who, you know, has definitely an affinity for this team over any other one, like getting to watch them win a title and like a team that's this, I think, uh, you know, just likable and like in terms of how they were winning in terms of like buying in on defense and winning in the type of ways that you can appreciate if you're watching them game to game. Like I think uh, well, it, it was just a lot of fun. Yeah. Kind of to the spirit of what Harrison was talking about. Basically Laker fans, there's a whole segment of Laker fans that are just now discovering what it's like to win a title. And on the flip side of that, there's a lot of Laker fans that are for the first time understanding what it's like to be completely irrelevant for a decade, right? Yes, a lot of, yeah. A lot of franchises go through that. Um, you know, a lot of small market teams, maybe if you're from Charlotte, right, you're going to have you, – you've had misery over the years. Washington, for example, you know, you just always – at best, you've been like a middling team at best, and typically you're just not really in the race. And we saw the Lakers kind of in that role pretty much since, I don't know, 2010. I, I mean, they lost second round in 2011. Like, a lot of people thought they were going to maybe three-peat, but Dallas swept them. And then they had the the Nash-Dwight year, obviously, that everybody thought they were going to be really good, but they ended up, like, barely mm-hmm. making the playoffs. But after that is when the real, like, basket – like, that, uh, you know, I believe that was the 2013 playoffs, if I'm remembering correctly, was uh, – after that, that's when, like, the real drought started, when it got really bad. Yeah, so it's just been interesting for me to see um... – you know, just kind of the contrast, right? Because like, on one hand, you're winning your first title. Oh, my God, this is awesome. And on the other hand, there's a whole generation of Lakers fans that, you know, are just like, wow, finally. Like, because, I, look, I went to the University of Texas, for example, and yeah. Texas is supposed to be powerhouse <laughs> in football, but we have not been pretty much since around the same time that the Lakers kind of faded into irrelevancy. And so, I don't know. It's just kind of one of those things. Um, has that been, like, your experience? Because you said since 2001. So that means you would have came in in the 3 P. Yeah, no, I, I'm a child of the three-peat era and then the Kobe and Pow years. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a child of Lakers exceptionalism for sure. And uh, so it was weird, definitely for me, covering a team that just like, for lack of a better term, just sucked for like a lot of years. Like they, like they weren't just like mediocre, like have a chance to make the playoffs, just kind of barely missing it. Like the Suns were for a couple of years or like Miami the last couple of years before they broke through this year. Um, like, like they weren't like that level of like kind of uninteresting bad. Like they were still okay and somewhat competent. They were like bad, bad. Like we're talking like that is easily the worst stretch in Lakers franchise history to go. I believe it's to go seven year playoff drought 10, like, you know, the team had never missed the playoffs. I think, twice in a row in their entire franchise history before that you know like you're talking about like you know there are Lakers fans that have never seen the team win a title I was you know I've been joking and some of my friends have been joking about like yeah they're they're 10 year old Laker kids that uh Laker fan kids that didn't know what a title tasted like until now like they you know those are the real like uh those are the people that really suffered but you know in all seriousness like I think it's been interesting to watch Laker fans react to this because, you know, while obviously everyone was excited over every title that the team has ever won, because everybody's always excited about a championship. I do think that there's a greater appreciation for this team from the fan base, just in the sense of like, they've learned what suffering actually is. And while I know that small market fans would be like, no, you don't like seven years is not suffering. Like like Kings fans would take exception to that. Lakers fans have learned what it's like to have a truly bad team. And I think because of that, 
and, and also to have multiple just disappointing teams. Like, and, and as a result of all that, like, they, I think, appreciate the way that this team went about its business more. Like, it wasn't a favorite, like, you know, right? I mean, it was one of the favorites, but it wasn't the odds-on top favorite necessarily in the eyes of every analyst for, to the, from the start of the year. And just, like, winning with defense, this is the most, like, defensively bought in Lakers team that I can remember and probably ever I think there's just more of an and you know to say nothing of everything that all of us like as a planet and then also like as the Lakers community have went through over the last year like you know I think that there's just more of an appreciation for how good this team is how hard they played and actually going out and getting it done I think resonates with people more having gone through the basketball struggles, the real life struggles, like, you know, in a year 2020, like we've never seen before really in human history. I think all of it led to a little bit more jubilation, uh, at least online than I can remember seeing in the past. So Harrison, tell me this. I mean, you were out at Manhattan Beach last night, you said? Yes. Yeah. Roosh, did you get out at all? Did you get out and explore the sites at all? Oh, to celebrate? No, no, yeah. no, 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 not at all. All right, Harrison, all. What, what was no, it like? No. What were the streets like last night? So I did not, I, I, to be clear, I did not go to the celebration or anything like at Staples Center okay, and all that. Okay. Like we, we drove past the practice facility on our way to Manhattan Beach just because I wanted to see like, are people congregating there? It's like, is that kind of like, because LA Live was, I don't know if you guys saw footage, but there were not enough people in mass at that yeah, celebration. Yeah, yeah, at LA Live and an outside yeah. Staples Center. I'm like a little nervous about that LA may have set itself back in terms of coronavirus numbers over the last, I mean, I understand that people were excited, but also there, it still is a pandemic going on, which is why the Lakers are not going to be having a parade anytime soon uh, for that, the reason that we just saw over the weekend. But I just went to Manhattan Beach and was just like walking around in like the suburbs and whatever. like there was almost no one out. Like it was like a neighbor, it was just trying to get out and get some exercise. But yeah, I did not go and hit the streets Shit. to celebrate the title. I'm not like, I, I'm, I'm not trying to catch uh, coronavirus or anything or uh, like I, I'm being really I'd risk, I'd risk it all for a Timberwolves title. Let's be honest. I'd risk it all. You can look, you can take I, my not digits. Say that that's warranted. Yeah, I'm not going to say that's warranted, but also like <laughs> I feel I would judge you less harshly than I would like Lakers fans, you know, that have only gone through like 10 years without a title. Fair. Like Timberwolves is, you know, again, I'm not going to justify going out and putting yourself in the community at risk, but. I'd probably get it a little more. So being a lifelong Timberwolves fan and uh, <laughs> Roosh has had some wealth over there. I mean, I don't feel bad for either of you guys and some some little heartbreaks in the playoffs or any ups and downs and trying to get back to a, a championship after seven years. I, I'm not going to shed any tears for you guys, but I get it. <laughs> I get the journey. It is pretty impressive, and it's wild to think a team – in a market like that, in today's day and age, in the NBA, could struggle for so long. And it's crazy what the player empowerment does and LeBron uh, bringing an AD. And it's crazy how analysts and fans and just people in general overthink the NBA, okay? I mean, I'm not like, I'm not going to go crazy that I just predicted this thing from the beginning. And like, as soon as that AD trade happened, I told everybody, it's like, it doesn't matter who they bring in. LeBron is still good enough. He's still the best player in the league when he's healthy. And then you bring in another arguable top seven guy at the time, and LeBron will turn him into a top five guy. It, it's a league of talent, and where you don't have any super teams right now, people try to overthink this and um, try to get creative and come out with this answer out of nowhere. Like, they should have been heavily favored. I mean, it should have been such an easy pick. Like, I personally believe in the role players a lot more. That's where people are trying to put the pieces together. I don't know about you guys. Where were you guys at the beginning 
um, with this team. I predicted the Lakers would roll all the way to the end, but also I predicted the finals in six games. I predicted the, the finals, and I said that we'd only get one or two good games. So I will pat myself on the back a little bit, but the NBA is not that complicated unless you really try to overthink it. Yeah, I mean, look, one thing for me, uh, honestly, if, if we're being frank, this is one of my least favorite finals runs ever, possibly. Maybe maybe the least favorite ever, at least in, in modern history, <laughs> because on the, on the eastern side of the bracket, I thought it was great. I thought it was awesome. On the western side of the bracket, we never really saw the juggernaut take, like, the best shot, right? I mean, they got Portland. Everyone was high on Portland. Zach yeah, King hold on. Remember. That best eight seed ever they, they had oh, to take no, on. No, no, Look. Zach will probably remember anyone that thought that was the best best eight seed ever was completely buying into the hype and did not <laughs> did not know what the I, I agree was about, right and then in addition to that uh Dan, or CJ had a hurt back like on top of that but if you if you watch the Blazers you knew they don't play defense uh, yep. they you know they ride Dame which he's not going to ride them they're, you're not going to ride Dame past the Lakers and in addition to that that week where you know they were having a great week oh they were on fire everyone loved it yeah they Got into the playoffs by squeaking past the Nets, who were injury-riddled and COVID-withdrawn, uh, you know, half of their roster. And then they also barely got past the Grizzlies, who had injury uh, Triple J's out, right? So, like, they had injuries of their own. Portland was not good. Houston, I'm biased. I'm, I'm from Houston, Harrison. If you don't know that, I'm a Houston guy. I'm a Rockets guy. Um, I'm biased. I was hoping that there was some matchup advantage that the Rockets could exploit. How injured Russell Westbrook was, we don't really know. Um, I think it had something in. to do with his performance. Yeah, and he, he didn't, play, didn't play the way he did at the end. He played, so he played. we get it what you're trying to do. You're going to diminish this championship, and I'm not going to let you do that. No, okay? no, 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 no. I'm not, uh, I'm not diminishing. He earned a very easy path to the finals, and he got it. He earned every break he got after making it 10 times. He deserved a cakewalk. But, but I'm not saying that – I'm not saying that it should be diminished. I'm just saying we never got to see them take their best shot. That's what oh, disappoints sure. me about. Nobody it, right? got it. We didn't get to see the Clippers take their swing, and we, <laughs> you know, we got the four or we got the five seed out of the East. Which again, I love the like I love the run. Big fan of those Heat, but obviously we we'd have rather probably seen you know Giannis and Milwaukee if they were the truth. Which we can have that discussion. They were not the truth, and for good reason. But we never really got to see LA take their best shot. Even in the finals, uh, Dragic was out, right? And I mean, he came back at the end. You know. She tried, but he wasn't 100%. Honestly, so much respect to him for, like, even giving that a shot. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. I feel like 99% of people could not have even gone out there and played. Like, I, like that was incredible. Yeah, and, and so to wrap a little bow on what I'm trying to say, from the jump, as soon as they traded for AD, anyone who, who has been watching basketball knows, you put LeBron James and Anthony Davis together, and it really doesn't matter who they have. They're going to be a top three contender no matter what. And people were writing – Rajon Rondo off, which I thought was surprising um, because he was huge for them. I, mean, I, think, I think they would have had a tougher time with Houston if they did not have Rondo. And they might have had a tougher time in general because his, his additional playmaking was so huge. They got Danny Green, who's one of the best role players in the league still, whether he missed that open shot or not. Don't tell Lakers fans that. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, don't, yeah, don't try and convince I thought that them was of absurd. that. I thought that was absurd because it's like, look, he missed the shot. He's not going to hit the Robert Ory, oh, my God. But he's still – Yeah, the thing, good. like, that was Markeith's mistake more than it was Dan. Like, Danny just – he missed an open shot. I mean, that happens. Like, it sucks, and he's paid to make shots, but and nobody realizes that more than him. But, like, Markeith just threw the ball out of bounds, like, with a title on the line. Like, I, like I'm not trying to, like, hammer him either. Like, everybody makes mistakes, but, like, that was the more indefensible mistake there, not like Dan – but anyway. Bruce, should LeBron have taken that shot? Look, I see it both ways, okay? On one hand, you could say, yes, he should have taken the shot. 
On the other hand, Danny Green was wide ass open. So, like, I think both are good plays, you know. I, I thought that debate was so stupid. Whether LeBron takes that shot or not, like, he's capable of hitting it. He was contested. I still think he could hit it, but he was contested. So the right play, you have a guy like Danny Green, who's a veteran, who's won two titles, been there, done that, hit a ton of big shots. He's wide open. It wasn't in his shooting pocket because it was like an off-balance kind of whip back, but I have no issue with LeBron passing that ball. No. Now, hold on. I'm not I, mad. I want to say that I agree, but I need to go back to the asterisk, like, easiest title run ever discussion for just, like, just a quick second. Like, so no, no, you no, no, say no, – no, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't say it was the easiest. I just said it was my least favorite. Okay. Okay. All right. That, okay. That's a little more fair. Like, especially if you're a Rockets fan, I can see why you wouldn't necessarily enjoy that title run. Like that said, you know, everybody was hyping up the Blazers and I'm with you. Like, I, I was like, okay, this is a completely fraudulent Blazers team. And like everybody liked it because the right. game is fun to watch and he's hitting big shots and whatever. But like they won their last like three games by like six total points to barely squeak into the postseason. Like that did not feel like a team that could threaten the Lakers. And the Lakers like beat their will to win out of them by like the halfway through game four. Like you could tell Portland just rolled over and was done. Then you come against the Rockets and you talked about maybe can they create some like matchup problems whatever the Lakers downshifted and beat the Rockets at their own game and then against Denver who had just beaten the Clippers who everybody was hyping up all year as a team that was better than the Lakers come back from down 3-1 against them came and like they gave the Lakers a good shot but the Lakers like again like just put like you know just strangled the life out of their offense and like you know was able to score on them pretty much at will for the most part especially AD and then you get to the finals and like I agree with you that Drogic made the heat worse like losing him but I'm also not sure that like the series would have been that different I feel like the Lakers it wouldn't have mattered yeah like the Lakers I I picked them in six with Miami healthy and like I think that they would have been able to pull that off like just because for the simple fact that like they only really tried in I would say game one game like probably game three and then game six and games one and six were the only games where they really turned it on for the entire game like they were clearly playing with their food and like you know to the point of we never got to see them take the best shot like I'm not so sure that we didn't get to uh, see them take the best shot and that they weren't just so good that it just didn't look like it like you know that heat team made my made the bucks look like they were nothing and like beat the Celtics pretty easily too like that was a good team and well, Denver was able to come back from down 3-1 against the Clippers like it's not the Lakers fault that the Clippers and Bucks were frauds like you know they those teams I don't think that necessarily they were the best two teams in the league to challenge the Lakers I think we just thought that going in and so like I don't think that we can really you know like like downplay what the Lakers did just because the other two teams that everybody was hyping up all year didn't necessarily live up to expectations well, to be fair, though, when I say they didn't, we didn't see them take their best shot, that's not, again, it's not downplaying the Lakers. It's no. just saying that I get we never, saying. you know, we never, it's like if you're watching Game of Thrones, like if we wouldn't have got, if we would have never gotten the, oh God, the, the Battle of the Bastards. The, the, no, no, well, that too. The Mountain, the Mountain versus, um, what the heck, the Hound, right? I'm not a it's throner. Like, oh, you're not a throner? Well, look, it's like an anticipated matchup. It's like how we never got, uh, Kobe LeBron in the finals, right? Right. We wanted that so we wanted that so bad we never got I to see I feel you. Yeah, I, I, got, I think I get what you're saying. But, I don't. But, but to play a little devil's advocate here, though, I, first of all, I think that the worst, off, off, going off memory, one of the worst finals or one of the easiest finals runs in recent memory is Golden State's first one. We could talk about that if you'd like. But 2015, you know, they played – every point guard they played was injured. 
and then Le then they got to LeBron and Kyrie and Love were both out. The only reason I might say this one's a little easier is because this team had LeBron and didn't have to go against LeBron. But um, to all those points, look, the, and the basketball is all about matchups, man. So was Denver the best matchup for the Lakers? Even though they beat the Clippers, I still think the Clippers were the better team and the better matchup. The only thing that really showed to contest with what the Lakers do was size, athleticism, and star power. And I think we would have seen that with the Clippers. They had like the 6'8 body type and the, and the length across the board to match up with them. They also had pests and defensive guys, complete defensive guys like Leonard, Paul George, Pat Bev, because the, the, the Lakers had the best defense. None of the teams they went against had as incredible of defense, in my opinion. Um, and then with the Bucks, if they would have seen yeah, the Bucks, Yeah, I think that's they fair. Have, they have a Other ton than of maybe the heat. The maybe the heat. Maybe the heat. But the heat, yeah. I don't think they had the size across the board. I think they were a little too small. Yeah, general. I think they were a little small to deal with what the Lakers presented. But, right. I mean, to be so fair, Bucks, that's most teams. I personally well, that's think that's what I'm saying. We never were... got to see the teams, you know? Right. Go. I personally think the Heat are the best team on, in the East on, on this playoffs. Like, I think we've never seen – peak Giannis and peak Bucks in the playoffs so they don't exist they, we just have never seen it they've never been able to play playoff basketball at their peak so rule them out the Celtics sure they didn't have Gordon Hayward but are they still gonna beat the Heat I don't think so I mean the way that he were playing and rolling I mean they the depth in that team was phenomenal I just think we got the best team in the finals but I do agree with everything else you're saying there what do you guys think do you think if Gordon Hayward would have made the difference you think we're missing something where it's I think the, the, only team, the best team in the East. I think the only team realistically that was going to take the Lakers out was going to be the Clippers, realistically. I mean, I don't think – Right, I agree with that. Honestly, I don't want to make this like a first take thing, but I think honestly we saw that they didn't have the heart to do it. I think that team was a little bit of like – I think they were a little bit prone to front running, and I Hearts think that – Well, they like, didn't deserve to be there. Absolutely not. I, I think that's fair, and I do think that I, I agree with you that they match up with the with the Lakers better than the Nuggets did because the Nuggets were like they were a good team, but they were a bad match. Like the Lakers were a bad matchup for them in terms of like they didn't really have anyone that sure. can defend LeBron type of stuff. Like like I get what you're saying, and that the Clippers had more of those bodies to throw. But I also think like the Clippers did not have an answer for Anthony Davis, and I'm not sure that, like, I think that would have been the difference in that series, and like, you know, we saw the Lakers tie them, like, regular season-wise. Like, we know that, like, the Lakers could have beat them and beat them in the more recent two games. Like, I, I just think, I think that given what we saw from the Clippers and how they kind of folded, like, I'm not sure that they had it in them at least this year to beat them like I mean obviously losing in the playoffs can change things I can change prep but like that was a team that barely practiced that was a team that like load managed all year didn't really keep their foot on the gas didn't play their best lineups together like they just did not prepare for the playoffs and we'll see if this next coach that they have can actually do that but I, I just don't think that they were set up like culturally to be able to compete so Denver again I'm a Rockets fan right so I, I watched the Rockets work the Nuggets primarily because Jokic is flat-footed. Yeah. So when he's dealing with a big that's long, tall, and has ups, can get vertical, he's really useless, especially in pick and rolls. He just, I mean, not useless, but defensively, he's, he's a, a negative. Yeah, defensively, he's not a helpful presence. Yeah, I agree. Right, so, so you, put, you match that up against Anthony Davis, and there's a huge problem, right? I, I don't think that there is theoretically an answer for Anthony Davis, but the Clippers have, like even Zubats is, is a little more light of foot, a little yeah. bigger. Even if you downsize from Zubats and you go Montrez Harrell, you can still run Kawhi and Paul George. Like, are they going to stop Anthony Davis? No, but do they make the, the nature of the matchup completely different? I think so. We saw – I don't remember what the score was for the, for the Lakers-Clippers matchups throughout the season, but 
my mem if memory serves correctly, I'm pretty sure they were all close. And the ones that weren't close yeah. were, were not close in favor of the Clippers. I so. believe the only one that turned into a blowout was opening night. And I think that was just in the fourth quarter. The Clippers kind of ran away. I think other than that, if I'm remembering correctly, they were really – all the games were really close. Harrison, was the Lakers your pick from the yeah. beginning? No, to be honest. I had picked the Bucks, And wow. so the Love Lakers – appreciate that. I was uh, – yeah. From the so beginning like, of the season or the beginning of the playoffs? Beginning of the season, beginning of the playoffs, I was picking the Lakers by that point because I was like, it was essentially early okay. on in the season. What I did not, what I thought was maybe possible, and I actually wrote a story, it's my pinned tweet, people can check it out, like from early in the season and it aged, I think, better than anything I've ever written because it was basically about the Lakers plan to establish an elite defense. And I remember like Jared Dudley talking to me in training camp, like, like just yeah. kind of like wide-eyed about how good LeBron had been on defense. And I was like, okay, like he might be pumping up his guy. Like I remember seeing, like hearing Frank Vogel talk, hearing Dwight Howard talk, Avery Bradley talk, like all these guys talk about it. And I'm like, okay, there's saying the right things about what they're focused on but like let's see it like I, I you know I had questions about the personnel I had questions about is LeBron actually going to try that hard on defense after kind of watching him the prior year like you know I was just I was uh, I was skeptical a little bit but it was probably like I would say 10-15 games into the season I was like oh actually like this defense is really really good and they actually like might really be a problem and I think that was the point where I started saying like I, I I, you know, I, I think I started saying I'm pretty sure this team can win a title. I, I wasn't at this team will win a title until uh, like until like probably like the first round of the playoffs. And I saw what they were doing to the Blazers. I wasn't at this team will win a title um, until they, it was pretty clear that they were the one seed and everyone else was fighting for two through eight. Yeah. Um, and, and we had enough on paper statistically to see that the defense was for real. Because if you give LeBron James and Anthony Davis, first of all, they're the only tandem of two top five players that, that we have in the league. And yep. one of them is LeBron freaking James. So advantage immediately. And then you pair that with a top 10 defense. Because I think if you go back, if you go back, I think till 1996, maybe somewhere around there, any team that does not have LeBron James or the Shaq and Kobe duo had a top either 11 or 12 defense to make the finals. There's only two exceptions and they're both late nineties. Like, I think it was the Pacers against that the Lakers. That is a crazy stat. <laughs> yeah, I think it was the Lakers against – or the Pacers against the Lakers and then the one of the Jazz teams against the Bulls. But my point is you combine arguably the greatest player of all time in LeBron James with another fellow top five player who's actually bigger than him, and then you give them the backdrop of a top ten defense, it's really difficult to see them losing. I always tell people, you know, a lot of Rockets fans on Twitter kind of took the angle, hey, LeBron's old, it's not the same, we can run them off the court, blah, blah, blah. And I always told everyone, look, I bet against LeBron James enough to know that you don't bet against LeBron James. Yeah, and no, we saw that. I think I, I remember when they made the Anthony Davis trade and there were a lot of Lakers fans because like people get attached to their young players. Like I'm sure both of you have felt this about like your young guy, like, oh, th this is the next guy. Like they're going to break through. We've watched them grow. We know them better than anyone. Like, you know, and so I think people, there were fans. I mean, obviously every fan was excited to get Anthony Davis, but there were fans who felt like the Lakers gave up too much to go and get him. And the thing that I kept saying was like, I don't know that you can, when you have LeBron James on your roster already, like, I mean, outside of like, outside of like the completely unreasonable, I don't know that you can give up too much for Anthony Davis for the simple reason. The like, it's not just the two top five players that you mentioned. It's the fact that Anthony Davis is like tailor made to be made better by LeBron and that he also covers up for LeBron's weaknesses. This is, 
you know, I'd argue that it's the best duo that LeBron's ever been a part of. And I think that it's definitely the best fitting duo that he's ever been a part of in terms of like, these are two guys where you don't have to be like, okay, like it's your turn, my turn a little bit. Like, how are they going to make each other better? There were zero questions about that as soon as they made the trade about exactly how they were going to make each other better. It was one of the best finishers in NBA history playing with arguably the best passer in NBA history. Like if not like at least a top two, top three passer in NBA history. And it's two guys with size and like that are still at the tops of their game. And like, you know, I think you're right about sometimes we outsmart ourselves by like, we all try to learn, like we want to figure out which role players are going to be good. And like, we want to all like sound smart when we're talking about basketball. And I think sometimes they don't we need to fit when you have LeBron and Anthony Davis. They don't. And need the, to but fit. the thing they is, just, is they got guys that they did just fit have too. to be good yeah. enough and willing. Yeah. They, they, they fit because they were the right personnel to play defense when LeBron said it's time to play defense. And that's how we're going to identify them ourselves this year call me crazy but i think the last dance had a part of why lebron wanted to buckle down and show his defensive side of things too i know he had the i know he, he was heard playing the defense talks. before the last I, dance came out to be fair he, he that's i say no matter what all time i'm not gonna we're not gonna get too far into this but he's behind jordan in number one defense that's first and foremost i mean not having a defense player of the year award not making all defense as much as jordan just not being a consistent as good of defender um, as jordan and sure say what you want versatility that doesn't make up for what he is as a defender second post game mid-range and then mentality those things lebron will never catch mj but where he does is longevity okay and just being great for so long and i've always said this if he gets five he's my goat but until then i need five that's it that's all i'm asking it's so hard not to say it with four, though, and being doing it on three teams. I mean, that longevity is insane, but so many players are going to prolong their careers if they want to in today's day and age. It's just science. It's it's math. It's just the way it's going to go. But, yeah. I, yeah, like Jordan was a pinnacle of that like, for this. his time. It's just that the science has gotten right. better in terms of how to train your body and, like, make it better for stuff like Got that. It. But they, he early pioneered that. Because of Anthony Davis. And because of the role he played, like offensively, like LeBron didn't really decide to, he only had one 40 point game in the entire playoffs this year. That's never really happened. And he chose, I mean, and he lost that game. First of all, he lost that game and he still didn't continue to drive, still didn't continue to bang bodies. I mean, he was able to rely on Anthony Davis. That's why it's such a perfect fit for him. And it's going to prolong his career even more to have, there's no better fit in the league than him. I don't know. Tell me what you Yeah, I don't know that there are two that, that... stars in the league that fit together better than those two. Like, I, I mean, maybe there are others that you could make an argument for, but I don't think that I see it. I, I was going to say, I think it'd be interesting to see if they're fully healthy. Steph and Clay. You want to talk about two people that fit each other perfectly. That's, that's and... fair. That's probably the only two that can even come close to touching it. Steph and Clay. And I mean, maybe I'm a little biased. Not good first, enough. That first year of Harden. They just have more depth. That first year of Harden and Chris Paul was perfect, by the way. But. But yeah, I mean, look, to, to the point of what you're saying, I agree with everything both of you said. They fit perfectly. Uh, they're tailor-made for one another. It's probably the best duo LeBron's ever been a part of. The GOAT discussion is one that we don't have enough time for. We'll never have enough time for. Do I think the last dance influenced LeBron? Absolutely, man. When I saw the Lakers in, like, mash mode, I immediately thought, Jordan is watching this thinking, 
damn it, we should not have released that yet. Because no, see, I, I think it's I, I actually completely think the opposite. I think Jordan felt threatened about LeBron's legacy a little bit when oh, and he that's did. why I, that's why because, he released it when he did. Yeah. 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 He he agreed to make the documentary on the day the Cavs won the title. We're celebrating winning the 2016 title. Like I mean, he clearly felt like LeBron was starting to come for him a little bit, nip at his heels at the very least. Like, well, I'm not saying that he didn't. I'm just saying LeBron yeah. watched that and got motivated. And I think we saw, you know, I think I, I mean, I think that LeBron was incredibly motivated, as we saw with him making up that people were calling him Wash to motivate himself and like like all that stuff all season. Like like we saw that last summer. I think he was the, he was motivated by people writing him off a little bit, and obviously nobody was like LeBron sucks oh, now. Sure. But I think that there were like there were questions about his health moving forward, including for me, like a groin injury is not anything to joke about. Like and like back in especially at his age, like there were real questions about whether or not not that he was whether or not he was good anymore. More, but would he be able to sustain it and stay on the court and because groin injuries can nag like those can last for years and like that one was still bothering him throughout the entire playoffs like I think like we saw with the way that he locked in on defense all season and the way that just he clearly was locked in on winning with this team like regardless of statistical production whatever like he just wanted to dominate teams and be able to rest the fourth quarter and like I think that this is you know obviously I did not watch him as closely when he was with the Cavs and Heat but like I think this is probably as motivated as he has ever been for an entire season outside of like maybe that second year in Miami. Like I remember just like he was just, a you know, like a world killer that year. Um, but like, I think other than that, he's always had a tendency to kind of pick and choose his spots and load manage a little bit at times. And like, that's smart for the longevity that you talk about. But this year was the first time that I really, and even in games, he would load manage a little bit. Like he very clearly would try and set AB up, start off games and try and build a lead that way without really having to assert himself and then if necessary he would kind of take over in the fourth quarter but like I also think like just the way that he was locked in on defense the way that he was leading this team offensively agreeing to play point guard and kind of handle the majority of the possessions and things like that that takes a toll like I, I think he was as locked in this year as he's basically ever been at the, at the end of the day um I think that but what about the beginning <laughs> no, like at the end of the day, like I was going to say, Jordan is my GOAT right now, but I think LeBron is going to continue to produce at this level or at least a level pretty close to this for, I would say, maybe four more years, three more years, because it doesn't look like he's slowing down unless he has some type of, you know, injury that keeps him out, like a, like a muscle injury like Carl Malone kind of got, I think, around age 30. Yeah. But other than that, I think, I think LeBron's going to continue to produce and he's going to win a couple more, if not a few more. And I think he's eventually going to be the GOAT. So you know, kind of hard. Yeah, to that's the that. thing about the whole discussion. It's like Jordan's career is over. LeBron's isn't like you. you it's not yeah, a fair yeah. comparison yet because you got to see where he leaves off almost because like, would you like, I forget how many titles Jordan had won by, uh, by like 34, 35, but it was, it was, he was at what, four or five. Like, would we consider him the undisputed goat if he had not come back and won those other ones? Like, you know, I, I don't know, like maybe, but I think that it's hard to say until Hell he's actually, until someone's actually done where they rank in the, discussion although yeah, I mean, he is look, to me right, i think so he is the goat both, but i'm a little biased by being a child of the 2000s all right two main talking points and then we'll wrap this up so first of all where does this title rank all time with lebron's titles and team in general um harrison you can lead this off so you mean in terms of like rank among his teams or like where it ranks among his achievements like that kind of thing achievement achievements just so, however you interpret that where does this title rank for you like for me, I think 2016 is number one. I, I mean, agree. Far none. I agree. I would definitely, I mean, because of his age, 
because of his age and I mean the mentality that you needed to do with this bubble I mean it's got to be two or three for me it's either second over his um first title ever or right behind that in my yeah I feel I feel like it's 2016 and then I feel like it's his first title just because like that was such like there was so much pressure on that team as like not only were they the favorites but also people were doubting them it was like this weird thing of like does LeBron have what it takes to win it but they were under this like incredible spotlight and like light bulb and whatever because he hadn't won one yet and was like quote unquote unproven and so like I, I think you have to kind of put that one there just because it's it's the first one like that that's huge like I mean obviously the only thing that can top that is coming back from down 3-1 against like arguably the greatest team ever so or at least by record the greatest team ever like the greatest regular season team ever and I think this one ranks third still because like the other two Miami ones I don't think can or sorry the other one Miami one uh I don't think can I almost I gave him bonus credit for an extra one I guess um the uh, the other one in Miami I don't think can touch this just because this is coming to a new team this is not coming to Pat Riley's culture this is not like coming with like like this is a team where you came and you failed not just by not winning the finals the first year but by not making the playoffs and to come in at this age and build it up into what he has like I think it, it definitely at least ranks at third if not second like you could talk me into second because of all the stuff that I just mentioned but I think it would be like kind of disrespectful to like him at, like what it takes to actually get over the hump the first time so for his achievements hey. I'm just going to interpret that as meaning rings and championships um which of which he has four I say four number four I think number three is really? um, yeah I think one is against the Cavs in 2016 I think two is his first one because I mean it was his first one. He got over the hump. It was like when he finally did it. And it was kind of in classic fashion, right? Played a good Pacers team. Had some big buckets. If I, if I remember correctly, I thought that was the year he had that, like, game winner uh, layup no, slip was, to the basket the year after. Uh, yeah, that was uh, – What about the game winner against – Actually, they, they didn't even win that year. That was um, just against the Pacers. Um, oh, you're talking about the like game winner against Chicago. Chicago. That was first rounder. Oh, yeah, what's Chicago. that? There you go. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm misremembering that. You know, I mean, the, it's one been... the, the one against the Pacers was conference final. Really, I thought he, you know, he hit two or three in the first round against him. I don't think he hit any. Nah, look at look. No, you're yeah, talking about. Now I, I want to go year. back and. Yeah, well, look. When you get a chance, go look it up. It's either the year I think it's uh, either 12, 13, or fourteen. Which years did they play? The Pacers. They played them twice. It was 13. both years they won the title, I'm pretty sure. Or maybe it was the year that they lost to the Spurs and the year that they won against the Spurs. Right. I'm trying to figure I'm, I'm trying to figure that out right now. Let's see. Because it's either gonna be one of it's it's gonna be 13 and then either 12 or 14. Either way, 13. I think it was 13 and 14. I think it was 13 and 14. Anyways, my point is LeBron was playing great basketball. He finally got over the hump um and won his first title. So for me, that's second. First being the Cavs. Um, uh, the Cavs over the Warriors, and then second yeah. being the one over the Thunder. Third, I was going to say the, the first one against the Spurs would be fourth because he got saved by Ray Allen. His legacy would, would be quite different had Ray Allen had Chris Bosh. One of the most incredible shots in NBA history, not even just like finals history. That was it is. Uh, unbelievable. It's one, most, it's one of the most memorable shots bar none. So Ray Allen yeah. saved him. I was going to say that that's fourth, but they repeated, right? And he hit that big shot game seven to seal it. Um, I think 93-89 or whatever it was. So, like, the Heat, LeBron getting his first repeat and hitting that big shot puts it over. The reason I put it fourth is kind of what Zach said. I mean, at this point, it's like, look, he teamed with a top five player in the league um, who was tailor-made for him. So, I mean, they were almost favorites as soon as they did it. 
this was a little different than when he joined with the Heat because the, that required other people making decisions, make, namely Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. With the Lakers, he just kind of strong-armed the front office and made it happen, right? Made the trade happen. So it's like, Well, Anthony Davis had to want it too. Well, I mean, who the, <laughs> who's going who's gonna to not want playing with LeBron James? So, and Anthony Davis had already – A lot of players don't. Well, we can have that discussion, but the point is he, <laughs> he was able to pull the strings for his situation, and the situation that he pulled the strings for was tailor-made for him. So – it was like it was kind of a foregone conclusion that they would make the finals at the very least, in my opinion. The Clippers forming kind of made it, oh, what's going to happen? But I, I still think the Lakers were the favorite. And then on top of that, uh, the main reason is uh, they, he had a break, you know. I mean, you give LeBron James five months off, four months off to reprogram and reset, and good luck, you know. Um, well, I, I look forward to him finding this clip and using it as motivation for a repeat next year. And my, since he's apparently looking for any possible slight to uh, declare himself washed. So, well, the luster um, has just worn off, right? It's like we know, I, we know how great he is. That's why I think those other ones are memorable because there was still a little bit of doubt. But now it's like, I mean, come on. You, so you're not gonna be I fell in the basket. It was game one, 2013, uh, against the Pacers. It was just a layup, but it was for at the buzzer to win. 92-90 or something, right? That's, like I'm pretty sure that's the one you're talking. It was 102-103. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because I think I they mean, were about good, to good lose. Good call on that. Good call I on that. I think they were about to lose. Is it on the left side of they the were. lane? They were down. Yeah. Was it the left side of the lane that he cuts I don't down? Know baseline what, I don't know where it was. Okay. Yeah. So, I, I bet Frank Vogel only – It says a two-point layup. Two-point layup. Bet. Frank Vogel, only now that he has finally won a title, is going to stop probably having nightmares about that shot. Like, Probably. And look, Frank, and, I, and that's another reason, by the way, we haven't even talked about Frank Vogel, man. Frank Vogel did an incredible job, specifically like against the Rockets. Look, as someone who rooted for a team that had one of the most stubborn head coaches in, in the playoffs, that, you know, stereotypically stubborn coaches in the playoffs, and Mike D'Antoni. Look, I understand. I understand. Okay. You know, look, I saw, we saw Frank I've Vogel. I've seen it. Make, make the adjustment immediately didn't waste any time and I said a lot of people on Twitter made fun of me for saying the Lakers are going small but that was their version of going small and and there's this writer who's he's really good for the Lakers I forget his name um but he he was arguing the opposite he was saying the Lakers best chance is to stay big and that they lose if they went small oh you're talking about Cranjus Tim uh yeah yeah yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. and I was telling I uh, my friend Red Red 94 who was also big in, in Rockets Twitter if you have ever seen his account Yes, I, like, I believe no. he blocked me during the Lakers series. I don't, I don't really know. Or he, I, no, I think, he, I think he blocked silver screen and roll. And honestly, I can't blame him. So, oh uh, yeah, I think, I think y'all took one of his tweets and blasted him. <laughs> well, look, you know, I'm not going to claim credit for that because there are two other people that send the tweets from the account. So I don't remember if that was specifically me or not, but it was probably warranted. I will say. But regardless, I was talking with him and I was like, look, if they go small, they're going to win it. So, anyways. Frank Vogel made those adjustments. Frank Vogel's a good coach. And, you know, I thought that was a great fit and kind of an underrated little storyline to their title. But number four for me. Out of all bronze coaches outside of Spolstra, Vogel has to be the second best, right? He's my he's second best for me. I have him better than Woodson, Blatt, any other slum bag you put out there. I mean, Ty Lue, yeah, I think, Lue, is a good yeah. coach. But, like, I, I, and I think a little bit underappreciated now. We don't know that, I, I think. Yeah, but, like, at the same time, like, I think he could maybe have an argument. I still would lean Vogel, but I, I think that you could make an argument for Ty Lue. 
But yeah, I agree that Spolstra is number one, at least for I now. Like if Frank figures out a way, if, if they go back to back and like there's more great adjustments from him, then maybe he can jump up to, uh, like to first. But like Spolstra is definitely ahead of him for now. It's like Spolstra's argue, like Spolstra might be the best coach in the league. Very good. So let's wrap up with this um, with, for Harrison. Um, biggest surprise on the year um, through the Lakers season or just NBA in general. Um, what were some of your biggest surprises that stuck out to you? Biggest surprise is uh, is just Rajon Rondo in general. Like he was a like I know that you said like you couldn't or uh, it was you Roosh that said that you couldn't believe that people were doubting Rondo. You did not watch every Laker game the last two years. Like he was garbage. Like r- like actively detrimental to your chances of win. Like bad bad. Like he looked like like not just like wash. Like he he was like or not just done. Like he was well done. Like you left the grill on. You left the lid on. Like it was there was smoke coming out of it. You could see flames. Like that was where Rajon Rondo was the last two years. And then he can't comes in against the Rockets and turns into an all star basically. I don't know. Like after a bad first game, he comes in and he's just like all right, I get it now. And then just turns it on. Makes it, he didn't play good every single game during the run. But it's like what what I started telling people was basically like when playoff Rondo shows. Up, he is like it's a magical force of nature like coming off of the bench for you and when he doesn't he doesn't look that great but when playoff rondo is there like he was in game six like he was for a bunch of games against the rockets like he was at times against the nuggets like i I mean he's incredible and the fact that he uh he set a record for most assists off the bench in nba history in the playoffs uh like without playing in the first round is like I, I mean, that's incredible. Like, he was arguably – like, him going from a player who Lakers fans – not me, I didn't go this far, but there were Lakers fans arguing he should be cut, like, to becoming a guy that was, like – Yeah, I heard plenty of that. Like, arguably their third best player at times. Uh, like, certainly at times. If not – I'd say KCP for the whole playoffs was probably their third best player, but Rondo has an argument. And, like, the, so that a bit, the biggest surprise for me was definitely that. And then I, I guess just, like, otherwise around the NBA, like – Honestly, I was surprised at the Clippers, like, choking the way that they did. Like, I really thought, like, everyone was preparing. I was following along with them all year, like, trying to get ready for that eventual Western Conference Finals we all thought was coming, like, trying to really get a good sense for that team. And, uh, like, I didn't see that type of collapse coming until it did. And so I think those were probably, like, biggest, like, Lakers surprise, biggest NBA surprise in general. Yeah, man. Uh, for me, look, to the, to the Rondo point, I saw the same thing. There's a guy, Sam Quinn, on Twitter who was dogging Rondo hard. And I just kept saying, man, you must have been either – He too, was that guy. Either too young or maybe you just don't remember. But Rajon Rondo gets down in the playoffs, period. Like, Look, like, he, period. he does, and he always has. But he was old was the difference this time. And I didn't know after watching what he has done the last couple of years if he could still upshift that gear. I figured he would be better. But to be what he was, like I, that should not be possible at his age. Well, no, I mean, how, look, look up, Zach, look up how old he is. I don't think he's that old. I think he's still. He's like, he's 34. 34. He's a point guard. Point, look, if you're a point guard. Yeah, he is. He's a point guard that can't shoot and then no, learn how to no, shoot for the playoffs. No, point guard after 32. Yeah, no, I was just going to say he figured out how to shoot. for a little bit, but. He figured out how to shoot around 36, 35%. That's really all he needs to do. But my point is, look, as, again, as a Rockets Back fan. Back in 2015, yeah. Going into the series with the Lakers, I was excited because, first of all, I wanted to see Harden versus LeBron. But second, I thought, look, the Lakers have one guy who can create, and that's LeBron. Um, I was not anticipating Rondo being ready. I thought he was still going to be out a couple weeks and was going to miss most of the series. 
And so once I heard Rondo was back, I thought, oh, shit. Uh, now they have another guy that can feed Anthony Davis. Because the whole, my whole thing was, look, you don't, you're not going to limit Anthony Davis, but you can make him less effective even if he gets his numbers by virtue of the fact that he needs the ball to, yeah. to him to be effective. Mm-hmm. Now you add Rondo who is running around and doing a lot of things that LeBron needs someone else to do. And pretty much circling back to the, the conversation we've had, LeBron's too good for that. So that didn't surprise me, but my biggest surprise uh, with the Lakers, nothing really specifically surprised me with the Lakers. I'd say the ironic or funny twist to it all is now Dwight Howard gets his ring with, with the Lakers and now he's more beloved by the franchise I'm sorry, by the fan base than he ever was, right? So that's probably, kind of probably the franchise too, to be honest. Like <laughs> probably the franchise too. Um, and the biggest NBA surprise, it's kind of hard not to pick, you know, both the Heat and the Nuggets, what they did. I think what's most surprising about that is uh, Milwaukee just getting rolled. Like, you yeah. know, like the Nuggets went game, went that's seven. Good. They needed a miraculous comeback, but Milwaukee just got rolled. <clears throat> and it was one of those things, Zach, I remember we, uh, you and I talked about yo, Miami could do this, but even when you look at things on paper and you think, yo, this could happen, it might be a tough six-game series, maybe a tough seven-game series, but it, it doesn't just, A, rarely happens, and B, it's rarely to the extent that the underdog straight up yeah. rolls, you know, the top dog. Um, but NBA in general, one thing to look out for, it wasn't a surprise to me necessarily because I've been watching these guys, but Luca and Kristaps Porzingis are going to be one hell of a duo, and I think they showed that in the first round, so... No, they're they're really and Luca especially is just like oh, unbelievable. Like ridiculous. to be as good as he is, just two whatever, years in is yeah. Whatever anybody says, whatever anybody says about Luca, yes, I was just as high as them on anybody. Sure, I, like it's nothing to be that crazy proud about. So many people are in my same shoes. Yes, we thought he was going to be this good eventually, maybe, but to get there in year two to be a top five type player to be an MVP candidate in year two. And to be able to prove that and to translate that into playoffs, no, nobody saw that coming. You can't see, you can't see greats coming that early. It just, it's, it's rare. It's a huge shocker. It's a huge surprise. And anybody who says, "Oh, I projected him to go from a top forty player to a top five player in one year," no, that doesn't happen. That's why yeah. he's the most improved player to me, um, and that's why that jump. To go from top 40 player to basically a good starter that can put up okay stats on a bad team last year, a 32-win team, to an amazing player, all-NBA to MVP, like, it shouldn't even be a conversation. Um, that's why people come up with these narratives and all these other things to try to justify. It's simple. Give credit where it's due. Let that jump happen. Outside of that, though, obviously injuries – are the cop out they always happen in the nba so it derails teams like the warriors they're the, they were the biggest shock um that got impacted by injuries the most from the beginning of the year um definitely thought they should have been a playoff team and um steph struggled a little bit when he didn't have much help so that that also surprised me uh but honestly i mean i'm with roosh i mean the really the only huge major su- surprise was just the bucks not getting any better in the playoffs like Arguably Giannis getting worse. Take, there you go. You said it. That's a perfect way to end right there. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, not, it's tough. getting worse. Yeah. I, I don't know what you do. Like, I mean, they're, they're going to – like, if they don't do something this next year, like, I think you almost have to 
assume Giannis is going to leave. Like, I, I don't know where to, obviously. Like, I think oh, Lakers yeah. will have a chance. I think, like, I, it sounds like Dallas will really have a chance. Uh, you know, I think it was Windhorse today said that Dallas was at the front of the line uh, oh, on a podcast. God. But, Please, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd have to go and look at the exact comment. But, um, like, I, I mean, like – I think that like the noise is going to get really loud if uh like if he if they don't do something in the playoffs the next year and they don't possibly if they don't make a move this summer to go and get like you know I know Chris Paul was getting connected to them a bunch through speculation I don't think there's been any reporting yet but like like they gotta make them happy they gotta make them happy on that note Harrison we appreciate you coming on and fun conversation happy for you guys out there enjoy this run I mean you got any media coming up any big stories you're writing about this title run at all uh no I think a lot of the big stuff I already wrote like I'm going to be doing a primer on like Lakers free agency and stuff so like who could leave who like who's like who's still locked in who's gonna leave like that kind of with a little bit of thoughts like but you know that like the the story that I'm most proud of recently was uh the one that I just did on the return of Lakers exceptionalism that's at silverscreenroll.com you can go there and read it but yeah I mean we're just gonna be you know like covering the draft the Lakers have a pick in this draft somehow um despite you know basically giving up everything to New Orleans and uh and then like uh, covering free agency and just like I mean obviously I think Anthony Davis is gonna stay I would be like floored if he left or even really considered other offers but um you know can the Lakers find some ways to improve this offseason like I do think that you know they're they have some guys some tradable contracts they have some assets left like they might be and also you know with the way that the cap's probably going to drop they may be able to compete for some of these veterans that are kind of priced out a little bit like aren't going to be able to get maybe what they thought and decide to just go somewhere and try to win you know like I, I, I'm excited for this offseason. I think that it's going to be fun. Awesome. Well, enjoy it, man. Right, Take thanks, it guys. easy. Thank you, Harrison. Appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, no problem. You are listening to The Noble and Roosh Show, brought to you by Ball is Life. You just heard Harrison Fagan talking to Roosh and Noble. After this brief break, we will be right back. Welcome back to The Noble and Roosh Show, hosted by Ball is Life. We just uh, had a nice discussion with Harrison Fagan regarding the Los Angeles Lakers and their title run. And now we're going to spend some time talking about the Lakers offseason and what that might look like. So, Zach, talk to me. Free agency, we're going to dive into some trade targets and then talk about any um, draft options they might have and kind of just talk about the overall offseason outlook for these teams. So, first line of business, I would say, are the player options um, for the Lakers free agents. We got Contavious Caldwell-Pope, one year, $8 million, and then Rajon Rondo with a $2.5 million player option. Do you think either of those guys accept that? I could see it. Um, I think it'll be tough to gauge what the market's going to look like, obviously, especially because of, you know, all the COVID stuff. We don't know. Uh, I think the salary cap isn't going to drop too drastically. I'm not sure, though. So, look, I mean, it's late in their career. Does Rondo think he's going to get another long-term fat deal? Probably not. So does he value coming back, you know, and trying to win another title? And same goes for KCP. I could see KCP being in line for some decent money um, relative to his position. I mean, he's a 3 and D wing. He showed up big in the finals. So I could see him having a high price tag. But, again, depending on what the market is and depending on how long of a contract teams will be willing to give him, I mean, you don't know. 8.2 is not that bad. So, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I do think that the best way to get the gauge is once, like, the first person gets their contract, obviously, right? That's, like, the measuring stick, the thermometer for how you decide whose value is what. So, we'll see what 3 d wings are going for in the corona offseason era, and then I think we'll have, like, a clearer picture of that. Yeah, it's going to be wild. Um, 
with the coronavirus offseason, it's going to be unlike anything. Um, I hope they come out with the CBA um, and the salary cap sooner than later. I'm going to guarantee, I'm going to put a noble stamp on Ondo re-signing. I just don't see him getting any more money than $2.5 million. Um, I think it'd be kind of weird and dumb of him. I know he wants to play as long as he can. Uh, I think he really enjoyed the type of year he had, and I think he sees himself doing that again, especially with this Lakers team. The contract I'm up in arms about is Contavious Caldwell-Pope, because I think he's a guy that could demand at least a 10 to 15 year, one year deal, if not two, three year deal with team um, as a good role player. But um, I just, I think he wants to be back. I don't think he wants the pressure of going out and having to try to earn a bigger deal than that right now. Um, I'd probably lean towards, I don't know, 60, 40 saying he's going to opt into that. I think the Lakers want him back at the number, don't you? Yeah, I do. Um, so that's what I'm saying. Like, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier. Like, it's going to depend on the market, right? Um, if there's something he just can't turn down, you know, like 13 to 14 a year with, with a decent length on the contract, I can see him leaving. But if it's going to be something that's kind of more or less what he's already getting, uh, I can see him possibly staying. How old is KCP? Do we know? Because if he's... He's only 20... Yeah, 26, I think. 26. So, well, I mean, that kind of... Kind of right. It's 27. 27, 27. and he'll be 28 by next year. Okay, well, that kind of changes the calculus a little bit. I mean, and this might be one of his last chances to get that fat, like, four- or five-year deal, and he's already got a ring to boot, so, you know, that's, sure. like, checked off the box. So I think he's a coin flip, man. But Like I said, I think it's going to be the – like, what is the market for guys like him? How many guys like him are available, you know? Is he going to be the cornerstone 3 and D wing on the market? Because then he could get some very big money, right? Um, are there – is he going to be, like, a run-of-the-mill 3 and D wing relative to the market? Maybe he opts back in, but I'd say 50-50. Um, but, I mean, on the base of it, man, you think he's going to leave almost because he's going to get paid. I, I, can't, I feel like he's going to get paid. I feel like Daryl Morey and the Rockets would throw him that's, money. That's a, that's a great point. If they had it, of course. I'd, I'd sell high if I – yeah, I'd sell high if I'm KCP. I mean, what, what's the most you'd spend on KCP? I'd give him a three-year, 12-a-year 12, 12 deal. I mean, if I'm any team, to be honest, I mean, valuable role player. Yeah, I mean, I think that's reasonable. So when you take that, then you think, well, there's probably going to be one or two teams that are willing to overpay, right? Um, so I could see him getting more. Like I yeah. said, 13, 14, you know, what's the market, though? Like, I remember there was that one year where guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. were getting 17. And I think Alan Crabb was getting, like, 17, 18. Evan Turner, you know, those guys were getting oh, – Summer 16, years. baby. Summer 16, Ryan Anderson got 20, 20 ends per year for four years, right? So – it just depends, you know, like, we'll see. I, my guess is though with COVID that the value will be down a little bit. So, uh, but I thought that the Lakers also had more, for sure, more, more players under player option. Am I wrong with that? No, nope, the only other guy is Anthony Davis. And that, I mean, that's, he's got a $28 million option. I think he opts into that just to buy another year. I mean, sure. He could maybe make 34. Um, I think that would be his max dollar amount. So maybe, Maybe he opts out and signs a one-year deal minimum so he can actually go test free agency. I, I can see himself have, wanting to have the power being LeBron's old, you know, but it's, it's clutch agency, so you never know what they're going to do. What, what, what do you see him doing? I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't see any way Anthony Davis leaves. I think the only thing is he might right. renegotiate. I think he's he might for sure one more year. 
Oh yeah, for sure. One more year. And I think the only thing he might do is try to renegotiate for more money for this specific year, maybe even renegotiate for, you know, more money on a, on a lengthier deal. Um, but I, I don't think there's any way he's gone. He just, but man, he spent his whole career underachieving, uh, unable to carry a franchise. I feel like yeah. now he wins the ring. He, I, I, you know, how could you want it any other way other than just coasting with LeBron? All that pressure's off your shoulders. You delivered. Like I, I can't see him wanting to go anywhere else. Um, so maybe what I'm looking at is incorrect, but what I'm LeBron. looking at says, says that JaVale and Avery Bradley are also under player option. Is that right? No, that that's not right. No. Absolutely what, what is, not. What are their situations? Only, so JaVale's locked in for 4.2 for one more year, uh, but the Lakers have five unrestricted free agents, all right? So um, you got Jared Dudley, you got Dwight Howard, Deion Waiters, Markeith Morris, and then J.R. Smith. Are you re-signing all of those guys, any of those guys, or what do you think with that group? Well, again, it's, you know, what is Dwight Howard worth? Um, are they going to be able to get him? I think they got him for the minimum, right? So is Dwight Howard now okay with his ring? Only, and kind of, let's say they have $10 million to split between, like, five guys, you know? It's got to be a bunch of minimum deals. Right. Is that, is that their situation? I don't know the Lakers cap situation off the top of my head. 100%. 100%. Yeah, that's essentially it. Okay, so, they got, so they're back in a situation where they have minimum deals. They don't have the MLE or anything to work with? Yeah, they'll, they'll have the MLE for one player, really. Okay. So I wonder, I wonder what the mid-level, like what, I mean, but yeah, that's, if they got to go with a bunch of minimum deals, assuming that these players will sign back, I could see them going back to the well for JR, Jared Dudley, and Markeith. I don't think Dwight Howard will get the minimum. I think Dwight Howard will come down to whether, he, whether he's willing to take the minimum to stay with the team. What about you? Yeah, honestly, I'm okay if they re-sign all those guys. I really am. But personally, and I, because... I don't think any of those guys are getting a bigger deal besides Markeith Morris. I think the Markeith's the only guy that could probably demand more than what they could afford. But you don't think does he want to just keep his role with LA or does he want No, hell no. I don't see Dwight Howard getting Dwight Howard only works in LA, dude, and with LeBron like maybe a team that's gonna want to sign Dwight Howard. I mean, outside of the Warriors. Maybe the Warriors. That's it. That's the only team I could think of. Maybe the Warriors. I mean, look, let me let me think about this for a second. But anyone that – I mean, if we're talking the minimum, what are we talking, one point something million? 1.2, 1.4, something like that, right? And all I'm saying is I think Dwight is at a level where he can still get like four or five. He's a good backup center. He's a good starting center. Right. He's not, he's not a star anymore, but I think he could get four or five uh, I think, million. I think the Lakers could match, could match that. Okay. But see, if, 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 if they were willing to spend that kind of money, I think they could keep – Dwight, um, and then I could I could see Marquise taking more, but the Morris twins are old, man. And Marquise, he would really have to sell his veteran presence in the playoffs because throughout the regular season, I don't think he was impressive enough to get too much money. More than the minimum, though, I can see him getting more than the minimum. So tell me the Miami Heat wouldn't want Dwight Howard for four M's? Hell no, no, they, they'd want Myers back before that. They really? want Myers back before that. And I well, I think Myers is going to be fetching good money. I think Myers will get good money. So, tell me this, though. Did you look over any of the unrestricted free agents, or should I list some off that I think would be good targets for the Lakers? So the, the guy that I had at the top of my list was um, Danilo Gallinari. I could see Gallinari because he made a comment about 
he he made a comment about how he at this point in his career winning a championship is what he matters. Did. I saw the comment. I saw. Yeah. So look, dude, he could shoot. He could play. Like. Oh man, I saw the comment, but like. What is that dollar amount? How, how small are we talking, Danilo? I'm just saying. Get 20 mil from somebody for one year. Hey, I'm just saying, man. He can take the MLE to go win the yeah, title. That, that, Lakers fans would be orgasming for days. I mean, if that was the case. Like, I'd orgasm for him if they got Danilo Gallinari. That would just be so stupid. And I'd, I'd, that, would be, that would be a big three right there. If you added Danilo Gallinari to – that literally is better than Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, that's literally better than Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, those three. I mean, <laughs> Danilo Gallinari is still a really good NBA player, and he's got two, three more years left. But, yes, I agree. That's the, the pipe dream being he threw that out in the atmosphere. Here's a couple names I got. I think they should take chances on high upside, but it's time to go get Melo his title. I want Melo to go to L.A. I really do. The last storyline that I care for is Melo go, going to L.A. and getting a title with LeBron. That would be okay. – would, that's really the hater comes, in me. That's, that's the hater fair. in me. This really comes down to, though, what players do we want to give titles to, you know, because that's what they're signing up for. Who, <laughs> like, who wants to go be a David West type and go get titles? Guys that come to mind, Kyle Korver, Tyler Johnson, Justin Holliday. Langston Galloway, Marco Bellinelli, Pat Connaughton, those type of guys are all excellent targets and fits for the Lakers. Uh, Kent Bazemore, I thought was a pretty decent one. He's on my list. You know? Uh, one more. And- Andre Roberson. Justin Holiday, although he'll be, he'll be highly sought after. Marco Bellinelli. Like, all, look, all you need, all the team that with LeBron needs is guys that can shoot. Guys that can shoot and de- decently defend. So any or anyone that can even decently shoot, but you give them a guy like right. uh, Marco Bellinelli, you know, like we've been talking about, even Wesley Matthews. Although I think he has a player option, um, I can see a guy like Alec Burks going to LA and just balling out off the bench, you know. So, uh, Alec Burks is going to want to get paid. I don't think he's an option. Well, will he get paid though? He always bounces around and always ends up at the end of a bench. Yeah, until he gets- he, and I think he's just coming off a big injury. Hmm. So maybe maybe he won't get paid. Um, so of those guys, I, I mean, I think all the guys we're naming, like Kent Bazemore, Melo, I think all those guys are upgrades from the guys they're losing. Absolutely, right? It depends on which guys we're talking about. I mean, I think Rondo was huge. I think Dwight Howard was huge. If we're talking Marquise Morris, I think he's replaceable. So the guys, yeah, we're talking Dwight, we're talking JR, KCP. We're, those are the guys we're talking. Yeah, I mean – I don't know. It's hard to say that there's an upgrade from a championship-winning team for me. You know, I, maybe I'm like leaning a little too conservative on that. But when you win it all, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And they didn't have any holes really, so I don't know. That's fair. You know what I mean? Um, would it be an upgrade like on paper in two K? That's a, that's a good point, and I'll tell you that's a big problem the Warriors have faced. They've always struggled finding those guys on the margins and always struggled like the Dronus Rekpos of the world and just filling in those holes with the, trying to replace David Well, They couldn't do it. And so, um, so when their studs did go down, um, they didn't have the three-point shooters and they didn't have the fit. So the Lakers, do you just bring back the guys from the well and just keep it rolling? I don't know. But if you can get a guy like 
Kent Bazemore, who still has younger legs and more athletic and can keep up the defense? What if you can steal a Jeff Green from the Rockets? You know? Yeah. I mean, I think that they, more than anything, they need to focus on perimeter players or like three and D type guys. If I was them, I might. might, For sure. Yeah, you know, like I might stay away from a Jeff Green because his skill set isn't necessarily needed. Um, And he's not much on defense in the three-point shot streaky his whole career. I think a guy like, like, dude, Ken Bazemore, anyone who's 6'5 and above that can switch positions defensively, that can run the perimeter and finish for LeBron and occasionally create to the hole or, or attack a closeout, like, that's all he needs. And I think there's a ton of those guys available. Like we said, each one more. I agree. Uh, you know, Ken Bazemore, even a guy like Rodney Hood, you know, um, although I don't, I don't know, I think he has a player option. Garrett Temple. You know, if Wes Matthews opts out of his deal, see, I don't know these guys, these guys' numbers, but if they're on minimum deals or close to minimum deals, I can see them opting out and going and joining up with LeBron, you know? I think Wes Matthews is a good idea, but I just think they can get a little younger than that. And um, I don't know when Wes Matthews' legs are going out, and he's always been injury-riddled. Like, I'm trying to get guys, to your point, that, I mean, have as fresh as legs as possible. They can still stroke the hell out of the ball. And, I mean, maybe there's some upside to them yet. Because, I mean, you got to think about injuries, too. Solomon Hill. Solomon Hill's a decent name. I was going to say that I just saw somebody. Oh, do you think Jay Crowder? Do you think Jay Crowder is going to get paid? Because if not, then you could go after a Jay Crowder. Oh, yeah. The, he, Jay Crowder's getting money. He's, he's earned it this offseason, this postseason. What do you think Jay Crowder's getting? So, I would pay Jay Crowder personally a minimum of three years, ten per. So. 30 mil, uh, but I I could see teams going up 12 to 13 for Jay Crowder for a three-year deal. How old is Jay Crowder? He's only 30, probably. Uh, let's see. Two, three years, 10 apiece for Jay Crowder after age 30? What, his, what his do you think? 30 on the dot. 30 on the nugget. Today is his birthday? <laughs> no, but he's only – 99 days old, you know, uh, but he shot 45% with the Miami Heat this year. I mean, the dude boosted his stock. If he's on a team that can space, two, three, and D in today's league, let's go. Look, Jay Crowder for his career, I might be wrong about this. You got the numbers in front of you. I don't, but I think he's only shot over 35%. No. I think he's only shot over 35% from three once in his career before his run with Miami. And his run with Miami is still on a small sample size. Am I right? You said over what over what over what percentage? Thirty five over thirty five percent from three only once in his career, aside from this year in my in Miami. Yeah, you're right. You're okay. Right. So so I think what he did in Miami no, was an he, outlier. He, yeah, he's a guy that can hit it. I think what Miami did was an outlier, and I think yeah. that you know, him in the bubble was an outlier. I think he's one of those guys that everyone loves and they're like, yo, we need Jay Crowder. And for the most part, when you look at it, he's only really been on one championship team, caliber team with Cleveland until now with Miami. So maybe it was him. I personally, the Rockets used to saute the Utah Jazz in the playoffs, and Jay Crowder was a part of that. And I thought that Jay Crowder was a huge weakness. So like, I got to see a lot of Jay Crowder in clutch situations. Maybe Utah was a bad fit. Um, but, man, 10 years for, like, a, an aged role player is – I feel like that's a lot. Maybe my grasp of that is wrong, is, is you know, Age? not good. Yeah. Oh. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Ten apiece. You, I feel like you give a guy. His nickname is the Beast. 
The beast. Um, anyways, let's uh, move on to trade targets, okay? Any? Uh, do you have any names down for possible trade targets for the Lakers? So for the Lakers, I mean, look, they pretty much traded anything they had that was worth anything to get Anthony Davis. So I really don't know how active they can be in trades unless, like, I just don't think it would make sense to swap their role players as trade bait. You know, like, you're going to need Caruso, whoever else they have under contract, like Rondo. Like, I just don't see any any trade package that would be worth whatever, that would be worth a team accepting and shipping out anything that would be of value to the Lakers. So, no, I don't have anything any trades down for the Lakers. I think they bring the core back. You know, they try to re-sign most of their veterans. They fill in the holes with other veterans, and they keep it moving. I love it. So I'll tell you this. Uh, you're dead on they don't have shit for assets. I'll give you that. Uh, that's, that's the thing, though. So they got to find guys on bad deals, and they got to go get crafty and just try to upgrade any way they can. I mean, they're going to be giving up late draft picks and – Danny Green's their biggest bargaining chip. <laughs> I mean, if KCP opts in, he'll be a bargaining chip for sure. But it's the Lakers, man. They're always big game hunting. They're always going to be active. I truly think these guys I'm about to mention are all possibilities with the assets the Lakers have because they're not. It doesn't gonna. It's not going to take much to get them. Okay. So the first one, I want to get the banana boat a title. I want to get them a title so bring on Chris Paul and Melo okay you're training for Chris Paul you're going to sign Melo all the Lakers have to do is give up a first round pick maybe a second as well and that gets it done for OKC they're going to just unload CP3 for very little I guarantee it um might be two first round picks late picks but yeah it's happening so why why wouldn't the Lakers do that man that makes sense to me. I just don't know why OKC would accept late-round picks for Chris Paul. Who's going to give him a better – I mean – New York? Think about it. Yeah, they'll give him the number eight pick. <laughs> that would be so New York of them. I mean, um, even, their, even their future draft capital is almost guaranteed to be good, you know, because they're going to keep sucking. So, I don't know. I can see the Knicks trying to absorb that. Even Miami, you know, maybe Miami. Maybe Milwaukee. Miami is way too good and way too smart to go after Chris Paul. They don't need him, okay? Milwaukee, though, they're a team that could offer more. They could throw, like, maybe a Dante DiVincenzo piece out here and dangle that bit because their draft capital would be the same, you know? Both really good teams, late pick. What kind of young asset can you throw in to entice OKC as well? But outside of L.A. and Milwaukee, I don't see any other teams – Maybe Dallas trying to get Chris Paul, just beefing up with any talent. Dallas have, has been rumored to have been in on him in the past, so I, and I never put anything past Mark Cuban, especially if it has the double effect of spurning the Rockets. So that could happen. I don't know, man. Maybe could you see – I'm just spitballing here, but like a Phoenix maybe, <laughs> like, a, you know, trying to pair him with Devin Booker and Aiton or um, – I'm trying to think. It'd be sexy. It'd be sexy. Uh, you know, I think it'd be smart of them, but at the same time, because I just think Chris Paul makes everybody around him better, and especially in this stage of his career, he's accepted the role with OKC. So I think more Philadelphia. They have they have the young assets. They, if you dangled a Tybal or a Zaire Smith, that's going to be tough to beat. You know, Kyle Kuzma, that's not going to entice shit. <laughs> but the whole goal of OKC right now is to tank. And if you go grab Kyle Kuz, you are going to suck ass. 
That's awesome. Here's your asset. Take a Kuzma. <laughs> so at the end of the day, uh, I just feel like what, whatever, big... I was just going to say at the end of the day, I feel like a Lakers package is the baseline package that's available. You know, like they could probably get that elsewhere if they shop around hard enough. Hundred percent. As the worst worst package, OKC would say yes to, and I agree. But here's one that's more viable. Let's bring. This is the only other big name they can come up with. Okay, let's bring Kevin Love to LA. How would they get that done? How would they get that done? I mean, obviously, whatever cap filler they can come up with. Okay, and then I don't think the Cavs are going to get much back in return. It's just offloading his contract. So whatever yeah. Danny Green and garbage you can come up with, that would be as easy as it gets, right? To bring in Kevin Love. Would Danny Green have to be involved because he's the only like role player with a sizable sizable enough contract to make it work? Oh, for sure. Let me. I'll, Danny Green and KCP alone that gets that deal done. So that would be basically the trade, and I think that's worth it a hundred percent. Because you just, if you're the Lakers, you just got to do whatever you can to win now. And so the trade basically be Danny Green, KCP for love. I mean, I just can't see how they get better losing their two 3-and-D wings and replacing them with, you know, a stretch four that's had injury issues, especially when you've already got Anthony Davis. You know what I mean? I feel like that would, I feel like that would be mixing it up. Perhaps it could happen if we're having fun or if we're, if we're messing around on 2K. Um, I just feel like that would go against – it would just be weird, you know? We just, like, they just want a championship with a specific formula. They can recycle that formula, but this is like going, you know, opposite of that formula almost like clunking it up getting too big a little slower on the perimeter so i would veto that trade all right very good i I can accept that i just think you got to do whatever you can lebron's got to decline at some point you got to do whatever you can to prolong this thing and anthony davis has had injuries in the past so as much talent as you can to keep this afloat i don't think lebron's declining anytime soon but you got to be prepared for it you just got to ride it out your right, get it in touch for Bronny, and let Anthony Davis be the king of L.A. That's the key. Anthony Davis <laughs> is going to be the king of L.A. It's whatever it makes him happy, you know? There you go. Uh, so, lastly, let's wrap up with this. Uh, the only draft pick the Lakers have, they don't have a second-round pick. They have number 28 of the first round. Uh, do you have any ideas here? I know you're not a huge draft guy, but otherwise I'll just spit fire. Yeah, do your thing, baby. I'm a. I used to be so into the draft, but these days I have not, I have not had a pulse on the draft. No sweat. So, just tell me this: what kind of rookie would you want to draft if you were the Lake? I mean, it just depends. You know, are they trying to get someone that they can like? Do they feel comfortable with their one through eleven right now to pick a project or someone that's more of a development type player, um, or are they looking for somebody that they can throw into the mix to win titles with LeBron? Um, I think that that would kind of go into the calculus of who you're going to draft. Because if they're going to go with the ladder and get someone they can throw in the mix with LeBron, I think you just, like we've been talking about, 3 and D um, and or someone who who has the ability to create as well. You know, that kind of prototype. Completely agree. So unless there's some foreign guy they really believe in or some untapped um, freshman that came out or a guy like Jay Scrub, uh, he's a Juco guy that, you're going to send to the South Bay Lakers and maybe comes up towards the end of the year. Uh, but you ship him to the G League and hopefully he develops. That's one option. But I truly think there's going to be a few players there 
that they can actually plug and play. Like, there's going to be some polished, well-seasoned guys that can stroke the ball, come in, and hopefully be like a Fred Van Vliet his year one and really contribute to winning right away. Um, and those guys, for me, there's four of them, really. Um, so Aaron Nesmith, I have him way higher on my board. I don't think he's going to drop that far um, out of Vandy. He's arguably the best shot in the draft. If they got him, that would be the pipe dream. But these other guys, for sure, um, should be around. Um, Grant Riller, Malachi Flynn, and Devon Dotson, um, all really great guards that I think will come in and could make an immediate impact with the Lakers. Well, I'm just going to have to trust your judgment on that because, like I said, when it comes to the draft, I'm a rookie these days, baby. I used to be heavy on it, man. I don't know if you ever got on Real GM. Oh, good. Um, but I used to be on Real GM heavy back in the gap on the Rockets board. And, you know, I'd be all looking into, like, all the prospects and, you know, who's available or all that. But um, I always, I was always bad at figuring out who was going to be good, uh, coming, coming out of college at least. And like like Luca, man. Like when I heard about Luca, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm sure it'll be good. But I kind of categorized and boxed him into the same stereotype. So like I missed on that as well, right? So no, on that note, let's just wrap this thing up. That's our Lakers offseason preview for day. I don't know how many, about 844 days away from next season. Um, buckle up, people. The offseason's gonna be lit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, thank you for listening. And we'll be back until next time, baby. Bang, bang.